So the tenth commandment. If you look in your bulletins, you'll see that there's a sermon notes there. And the title of this, command, uh, this sermon is Be Undone. Now you might find that a curious title, but follow with me and you'll see why and how we can use this title. And if you've been following this series, you'll have also no doubt picked up on the fact that I've been preaching that the Ten Commandments is more than just worth reading for their own plain reading of the literal meaning of the words. It's also a heart matter. And so in this final sermon on the series, uh, you won't be disappointed to know that we're also going to really look at what is the heart matter behind the Ten Commandments and indeed, the Tenth Commandment is pretty much the culmination of this, uh, this idea. And I'm sure you know that when Jesus applies the law, he always applies it radically to our hearts. He takes what could possibly be seen as descriptions of behaviour that we must avoid and makes it clear that God looks not just at our behaviour, but also looks at our motives and our attitudes. Jesus constantly emphasises in his teaching that God's law never just deals with external matters, it always points to the heart, to the need for the inward attitudes of love for God and also love for our neighbours. So just as Jesus says in Luke 6 verse 45, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. The Pharisees of Jesus' time were absolute experts in the law, expert at keeping the laws by their outward actions. But time and time again, Jesus condemns them, for although their outward actions were virtually perfect, inwardly their hearts were full of pride and self-righteousness. And Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus doesn't mean here that you must be even more pernickety. That's a great word. Go and look it up. Jesus didn't say that you must be even more pernickety about your outward actions than the Pharisees. He means that obedience is always a matter of your heart as well as our actions. We must always feel the force of the commandments pressing on our hearts, on our consciousness, on our outward conformity, that we must realise that our outward conformity is never enough. Now, the two classic examples of Jesus' way of explaining the force of the commandments in this way are his explanations of the sixth and seven commandments that you find in Matthew 5. Jesus makes it clear that it's not the physical act of murder which is just wrong, but that even hating someone or insulting a person is just like murdering someone with your heart. And it is not only the act of physical adultery that God condemns, even someone looking with lust in your heart is like committing adultery in your heart. So now the question I'd like us to think about today is, was Jesus right? Now, of course, I don't mean to question Jesus, but I ask this question as a way to get us to think about what is going on here. How does Jesus explain the commandments this way? Now, there are two possibilities. Either Jesus is introducing some brand new way 
when he interprets the law in this way. So he maybe is introducing something brand new, or otherwise he is actually explaining the meaning the law was intended to have all along. So this is the question. When God originally gave the Ten Commandments, did he design them right from the beginning to press on the heart and on your conscience? Or is the emphasis that Jesus gives them a new twist on the commandments? So perhaps you should think, well, what do I actually think? Was there a heart emphasis all along, which Jesus explains and brings out? Or is this just Jesus giving us a new twist on understanding the word? So I think the best answer to that question is actually the 10th commandment itself. And the 10th commandment is the inside of a cup. You have to think about that for a moment. In Matthew 23, Jesus speaks strong words to the leaders of the law and the Pharisees, and they are typical of his approach to dealing with the outward conformity of the Pharisees. And this is what he says to them. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will also be clean. So again, the tenth commandment is the inside of the cup. The Tenth Commandment talks about what's inside, where only you and God know what's going on. You can be breaking the Tenth Commandment when everyone is saying what a great person you are, what a fine Christian you are, doesn't he do good work? In this way, the Tenth Commandment explains where all sin is born and where it comes to life. Now, in theory, you could keep the ten command, uh, you could keep commandments one through nine of the law in an outward sense. So maybe you could keep the first nine commandments for perhaps a day, or if you're Chris Clark, maybe two days. No other god, no idol, no vain use of God's name, keeping a Sabbath, honouring your parents, no murder, no adultery, no theft, no lying. Yes, I reckon I could probably do that for a day at some time in my life, in an external sense. In that external sense, we could publicly keep the first nine commandments and we might be a shiny example of a nearly perfect person for about a day, perhaps. Again, in in terms of external behaviour. But the tenth commandment will be your undoing. The tenth commandment is the inside of that cup. Outwardly, you may appear wonderful, perfect in other people's eyes, But God sees your heart. God sees where your true desires are. A covetous heart, one which is not content, and one which is not satisfied in God himself, but a heart which wants something else, something more than God. That's the target of the Tenth Commandment. And it will undo you. And it will undo me. But don't worry. You're an excellent company. The Tenth Commandment was the undoing of the story we just read about of the rich young ruler. The Tenth Commandment was the undoing of the Apostle Paul. So you can see we're in fine company. But let's see how the Tenth Commandment was the the undoing of the rich young ruler in the Matthew 19. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? 
he expected that in some way he could work his way to eternal life. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now Jesus discerns his heart. He wants to show this man that he can never do it himself. So when Jesus initially answers the man, he does it according to the man's thinking. He answers, obey the commandments. The young man answers, which ones? In other words, I've kept the commandments, can you give me more insight? In his answer, Jesus lists for him commandments 5 through 9, and also the second part of the summary of the law. So he says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. In other words, Jesus outlines the whole law that deals with how we should treat our fellow human beings except for the tenth commandment, you shall not covet. Now the young man could say, all these I've kept, what do I still lack? Yet, yes, I have kept all these, at least in an outward way. I have stuck to the letter of the law, these commandments I have obeyed. But Jesus' response cuts him down. If you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have your treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he has great wealth. Jesus goes to the heart of his problem. It's idolatry. His heart is wrapped up in his possessions, not in God. He has a covetous spirit. He is breaking the Tenth Commandment. He loves his treasure more on earth than he loves God. He is putting his treasure before God. And so he is breaking the First Commandment and the Second and the Third and the Eighth and the Ninth. But he only realises it when the Tenth Commandment is also pressed against him. The Tenth Commandment was also the undoing of Paul. Paul had been a Pharisee. Paul had been just like the rich young ruler. He kept the law outwardly. He says in one place that he had made great progress in Judaism, that he was faultless when it came to legalistic righteousness. But again, for Paul, after the Holy Spirit does its little bit of work on his heart, he realises that he's been felled, he's been undone by the Tenth Commandment. Listen to what Paul says about that in Romans 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I have not known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. See what Paul's saying here? When he was given understanding of the Tenth Commandment, then he realised his own hopelessness. He was a sinner. He realised that he needed Jesus Christ. For a long time, Paul had been a self-righteous Pharisee, thinking himself blameless, satisfying the outward regulations to the letter of the law. But by the Spirit's power, the Tenth Commandment did its work. The Tenth Commandment, with a razor-sharp blade cut to his heart. The Tenth Commandment was the undoing of the rich young ruler, and it was the undoing of Paul. 
And I'd ask you all, is the Tenth Commandment your undoing? It certainly is mine, and it's, I think it's no doubt yours as well. A covetous heart is the mother, the source of all sin. So what does it mean to covet? Well, it means to be dissatisfied with what God has given you. It's the opposite of contentment. A person with a covetous heart is dissatisfied with God. So please hear this. Are you satisfied with God? Is he your chief pursuit? Or does something else provide the main spring, the main source of energy in your life? Ask yourself the question, what do you daydream about? What do you long to achieve more than anything else? You shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment. Breaking the first commandment involves covetousness. How can you measure this? So if you're given to covetousness, then your thoughts, your energies, your dreams will be taken up with your own desires. You cannot think of nothing but your business, maybe your work, your career, your future plans, your holidays. You'll always be plotting and projecting about your own affairs and think very little of God's business. Second, a covetous person is an idolater. He bows down to possessions or reputation or popularity or whatever his idol is. Do not bow down to idols. Breaking the second commandment involves covetousness. You have a covetous spirit if all your efforts are to gain the things you want. You may turn over every stone, you may go without sleep, you may worry, you may push your own agenda and the world admires you and the world is in awe of how committed you are to whatever your cause is. But you take no pains for Christ and you take no pains for his will and you will hunt for the world and maybe occasionally wish for heaven. Third, a covenant person might on the, appear on the outside to be a Christian, but his covetous heart means he's taking God's name upon himself in vain. Breaking the third commandment involves covetousness. You are all you are given to covetousness when all covetousness when all your conversation is about the world. All you talk about is your possessions, your plans, your activities your recreations, but speaking with others about God's word and God's ways in your life doesn't interest you. Fourth, a covetous person can usually only think of his business or his accounts or his career, even on the Lord's day. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Breaking the fourth commandment involves covetousness when you can't even find time to worship God. You are given to covetousness when you overload yourself with business. You have many irons in the fire, you have many fingers in pies. You're keeping all your options open. You are so busy, you scarcely have time to eat. Certainly no time to pray, no time to worship, no time to study God's word. Fifth, the covetous person has no interest in showing real honour to parents. Only how he or she could exploit their parents. Honour your mother and your father. Breaking the sixth commandment involves covetousness too. Do not murder. Murder is unlawfully taking from something, someone else. In fact, their very life. And the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. Do not covet your neighbour's wife. Covetousness is the root of theft. Thieving always starts with lusting after the thing that has been stolen. 
do not steal. And ninth, when you have a covetous heart, you are set on what you want, uh, on what you want that you are willing to use unlawful or unethical means to get. You are willing to steal, willing to lie to get whatever you want. Do not be a false witness. Breaking the ninth commandment involves covetousness. So I know that's a pretty long list and examples of how we are sinful. We have to ask ourselves, do we have a covetous heart? The covetous heart is the mother and the source of all sin. Now, does this ring any bells with you? Well, surely it rings many bells with me. And when you seriously you know, look down at these words and uh, look deeply into your heart, there's more than one bell ringing. There's many flags and red lights and whistles going off that you realise just who you are. So then, is Jesus right to press the law against our hearts and against our conscience? Conscience. Of course he is. And he presses it so hard, doesn't he? And if you don't feel the hard press, maybe you're not listening. Jesus is not putting a new twist on the law by applying it to the heart. The tenth commandment shows that God's intention right from the beginning was to pass, there was to press on our hearts, to press on our conscience, to show us that we can't save ourselves by obeying the law. Jesus is actually loving us when he presses us so hard. He wants us to abandon all hope of ever being good enough for him. He wants us to have done with trying to justify ourselves. He wants us in turn to turn to him. Jesus wants to set us free from condemnation. Jesus saves us. We don't save ourselves. We realise our own hopelessness and we need to realise that Jesus is our great hope. So let's not fool ourselves today. We've been studying the Ten Commandments for the last few months and time and time again we've seen that but for Jesus Christ we would be without hope. It's immature to believe that a day is coming when we will finally make the grade, when at last, having tried to obey the law, we'll be ready to give it our all and to satisfy God's demands, and that one day we'll be able to finally lift up our head and be satisfied with our own performance. The news flash is that God does not love some future version of you. He's not waiting for you to buck up or pull your socks up and fly right. He's not waiting for you to become a lot better sort of person before he's ready to talk to you. So God does not love some future version of you where you've made yourself better and worthy. So may that day never come when you think you're good enough to approach God. True maturity comes from when you can acknowledge that indeed you have been undone by the 10th commandment and you realise your own sinfulness and you realise that you can't do it yourself. So when you realise that, you have two options. You can be like the rich young ruler and be sad and go away because you are unwilling to part with your idols. Or you can be like Paul. It can be your salvation. You can say what he says in Philippians 3. And this is what he says. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, 
For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is in through faith in Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Brothers and sisters, be undone. It is the only way. Amen. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you. We need to realise and acknowledge our own sinfulness and that there is nothing that we can do that makes ourselves right with you. But Lord, the great news is that we know about your plan for Jesus Christ who came to earth to live a perfect life and to die on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for the the enormous mountain of sin to pay the price to make us righteous before you. Lord, help us to go out this day that we might not try to rest on our own works, but that we would indeed rest fully on the completed work done by Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.